when, when I was in graduate school, I had a professor who was a genius. He was the smartest man on campus. And when I would go in to see him with a question or an issue related to my research, he would ask me this question. He would say, Max, do you mind if I type a, a letter while we talk? And because I was young and hadn't quite yet learned how to be an advocate for myself, I said, sure, no problem. So our conversations went like this. Clickety-clackety, tap, 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 bing, shoom. Clickety-clackety, tap, 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 bing, shoom. And I would find myself having to speak louder and louder. And so the, the papers that I need, sir, are in a university in Toronto. Clickety-clackety, tap, 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 bing, shoom. Contrast that with another professor, this man right here. Lyle, when I would go to see Lyle, would look me square in the eye and he never averted his gaze. I swear the man didn't even blink and he would lean toward me. And when I was done speaking, he would say this in a raspy voice, Brother Max, I hear you saying, and he would summarize what I just told him. And then he would say, did I hear you right? So when I had issues with Jenny, whom I was dating at the time, when I had problems, when I needed advice, did I go see Mr. Clickety-Clack or did I see Mr. Eyes Piercing right into my soul? <laughs> right, I went and saw Mr. Eyes Piercing right into my soul. We would have these conversations and again, because he never averted his gaze, I would just find myself confessing sin because I figured, well, you're seeing it all every way somehow. I don't know how. So I'm just going to be honest and tell you all this stuff. So we all know what it is to be seen and heard. And we all know what it is not to be listened to. Listening matters. There's a lot at stake when it comes to listening to another human being. When Jenny and I were dating, uh, we attended different churches. And over several weeks during lunch, Jenny would ask these questions that I just thought were the strangest things in the world. And so I said to her, I'm going to go to your church with you this coming Sunday because I want to I hear what they're teaching. Like, you shouldn't be asking these questions. And so uh, I, go to, I go to our Sunday school class with her, and it's full of Wheaton College students. And this young sophomore in, in, at Wheaton College raises her hand. She's got a question for the pastor. And, she's, and so the, they're teaching on this concept that they call male headship. I'm not going to get into it, but her question is basically this. Suppose you're a wife and you're married to a husband who curses at you all the time and who beats you occasionally. And then she lists off all these specific details. And if you're sitting in the room, you're like, oh, this is someone she knows. And then you hit another moment where you're like, oh, these are her parents, <laughs> right? Like, it's obvious. The pastor, in answering the question, didn't ask her anything else, just jumped right to what he thought was the correct answer. Oh, you got to stay married, you can't divorce, can't leave, and blah, 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 period. That was the last Sunday Jenny went to that church. <laughs> Bless her heart, the next week she had to be a Baptist with her boyfriend. <laughs> okay? Listening matters because sometimes there's a question behind the question. Sometimes there's an issue behind the issue. And so uh, most people just don't put it all out there unless of course it's social media, right? And then that's, that's a hunt for validation and other stuff, okay? <laughs> 
But with most people, you've got to draw it out, okay? And so my big idea today is really simple. Listen more than you speak. Listen more than you speak. Um, real listening shows people God's love, and it opens up opportunities for connection and for truth. Much of what takes place in our society, though, is here's why we're right and you're wrong. <clears throat> That's America right now. Here's why we're right and you're wrong. Todd Hunter says this. He says, I'm willing to bet the farm that in our postmodern, post-Christian society, the most important evangelistic skill is listening. Is listening. When we listen, we imitate Jesus because Jesus is a good listener. Remember, Jesus is God, so when Jesus is doing something, God's doing something. So the fact that Jesus listens means God listens. God listens. God sees. So we're going to be in this passage from the Gospel of Mark today, and we're going to look at this encounter between Jesus and a woman, and we're going to see just how well Jesus listens. So Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 34. I'm going to read the passage, and then I want to draw out a few things for us as a community of faith. Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake, where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him. And all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body what, that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. So a crowd is pressing in and around Jesus. For those of you that are older, I want you to think of Princess Diana and what it was like for her to travel around and visit various places. There was a mob, a glob, a human glob of people. Paparazzi, all the young people that were like, ah! like just going nuts because it was Princess Diana. Now, for those of you who are younger, I want you to think of what it must be like for Taylor Swift to get from the NFL stadium through the corridor to her car and how many people must be pressing around and hoping to get a moment, a snapshot, a selfie, 
just a moment with Taylor Swift. This is what it was like for Jesus. Okay? So uh, throngs and throngs of people are wanting to get close to Jesus. They're wanting to have a word with Jesus. And a synagogue leader named Jairus has a 12-year-old daughter who's on her deathbed. Jesus stops, listens, and agrees to intervene. All the people followed, crowding around him. Now, the Greek word here I find interesting only because it's the same Greek word used in the parable of the sower about weeds that choke out the life of the plants. So this word has a sense of choking, pressing, crushing. That's the word used to describe the throng of people around Jesus. In the middle of this glob is a woman. For 12 years, she has suffered uncontrollable bleeding. She has spent every dime she had on medical treatment, but nothing has worked. She's broke. And not only that, she's unclean. I need to talk a little bit about what that means. For certain skin conditions, for certain medical conditions, it rendered you unclean. We used to joke about this when I was in college. Um, if somebody, if a guy on the floor hadn't showered for several days, one of us would go in front of him and yell, unclean, unclean. We were joking. But back in this day, that's what you had to do. You had to have someone go in front of you or you had to shout unclean so that people wouldn't mistakenly brush up against you and touch you and become unclean themselves. This woman could not go to the marketplace. She couldn't go to synagogue. She couldn't be invited into anyone's house. She had to live alone, isolated, and in shame. And she decides to go find Jesus, which means that she's in the crowd not doing what she's supposed to do. Unclean, unclean. Because if she had done that, she wouldn't have had a prayer of getting close enough to Jesus to touch his robe. So I imagine, like, inch by inch, she's working the crowd, and she finally gets close enough to where she pushes along his outer cloak. And the Bible tells us, immediately, immediately, the bleeding stopped. I got to admit, I'm impressed with her. <laughs> I'm impressed with her. She didn't give up. She had faith that if she could just get close enough to touch Jesus' robe, Jesus could do the impossible. She didn't grab hold of his ankles. She didn't spend several moments pleading with him. She just casually touched his outer cloak. Now, I want to unpack a concept here, and that's really simple. Big faith plus little God equals little results. Little faith like a whiff of faith a sniff of faith, just the tiniest little bit of faith. And a big, big God equals big, big results. I've seen this play out countless times in my life. God's provision, God's power, someone's healed. I've also experienced the opposite. I've prayed for something, believed in, for something, hoped for something, and God didn't come through the way I thought he would, the way I thought he should. Um, I prayed with Rochelle Ballard that God would give her another decade with her son. I prayed that Michael Tippy would live to become an adult. God didn't do any of those things. The impossible didn't happen. So when you pray for something and you 
ask God to do something and God doesn't do it, you can end up in two different extremes. One is resignation, where you say to yourself, well, God's going to do what God's going to do, so I'm just not going to pray or ask anymore. The other extreme that you can end up with is the, well, I just didn't pray hard enough. I just didn't have enough faith. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this right this time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it right. I'm going to unlock the Almighty in this situation. Both extremes are bogus. Faith Generations Community Church is found in the middle. It's found in the middle. I don't give up on God, and I don't act as though it all depends on me. I keep on believing. I keep on following Jesus. So, in the woman's instance, her faith, this moment, she's healed. And I got to wonder if she had hoped on keeping it quiet. Well, that didn't play out. <laughs> Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my robe? Can we all acknowledge this is a ridiculous statement? I mean, Jesus, 20 different people have touched your robe in the last three minutes. I mean, you might as well be a kindergarten teacher or a special ed teacher. Everyone has touched you. Everyone. Who touched my robe? Jesus is hyper aware of the situation. And I think a couple of things are playing out. I think that Jesus wants to draw out this woman and make it a public thing. So he wants everyone to see her as now clean, healed, and not unclean, bearing all this shame. And the other thing he wants is to clarify that God is the one that did this. This wasn't superstition. This wasn't magic, all the stuff that can come up, right? No, no, this was God. And Luke, Luke tells us a very important detail, and it's found in Luke chapter 8, verse 47. In front of all the people, this is Eugene Peterson's translation, she blurted out her story. The New Living Translation puts it this way. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him. Another translation puts it this way. She told the whole truth. At the risk of being sexist, for a moment, indulge me. A woman had suffered for 12 years a medical condition that meant she had to isolate from everyone she loved, everyone she cared about, her community, everything. She lived a life of shame. She went broke trying to fix the problem. God does something huge. Do you honestly think that in that moment she's going to give a couple of phrases summary about what has just happened to her? No. She's going to tell the whole story. So the, Jesus, the whole entourage, stop and listen to this woman and her story. Of course Jesus stopped. Of course he listened. And she returned home that day healed, seen, and heard. Listening matters. Because, again, often there's a question behind the question. There's an issue behind the issue. And there's a story behind everything. I hate to tell you this, but we're storytellers. It's in us. We tell stories. We have these things called narratives. Okay? And we tell stories about ourselves, and Jesus wants to hear the stories that we're telling. And we want to be like Jesus. Okay? 
So let me ask a couple of questions in light of what we see in Mark's gospel, in light of what we see in the person of Jesus. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone who was not listening to you? Several of you are smiling right now. You're thinking of their name. <laughs> okay? Isn't that interesting? We know when someone isn't listening to us. We know. Okay? Have you ever been in a conversation with someone who was not listening to you? And then secondly, would those who know you well call you a good listener? Now, fair warning, O oh church family. Some of today's taking it home stuff is going to be very hard, but I promise, worth it nonetheless. So how can you and I take this home? Well, first and foremost, I want to suggest to you that you need to surrender your desire to be an expert. For the next week, do not give advice to anyone. So from today until next Sunday, unless they specifically ask you, please tell me what to do. I've got to know. Don't give them advice. If you are married, this means that your wife does not need you to tell her what she needs to do to fix the problem. Okay? <laughs> if, if, you are, if you've got teenagers in your house, I know you've got a lot of angst. <laughs> there's a lot of angst there's high stake stuff on everything they're doing right now resist the urge to give advice okay for one whole week for one whole week what most people need is not an expert but a friend with open ears here's what i've discovered about young people if they have a question about something do you know what they do they pull out their phone and they google it they're not coming to you with questions. Now, if, if you really listen well to a young person, what you'll find is that they will start bringing their questions to you. But you've got to earn that through listening, okay? You've got to earn that through listening. Um, if you're not sure what somebody needs and you're getting an emotional outburst, you're getting something. So over the last year, I've got a son who's in his late 20s. He had a lot of job angst. He would burst into my house and he would go on this Shakespearean monologue about his job for 20 minutes. It's like King Lear, okay, in all the layers. And my dad brain was going, oh, you shouldn't be thinking that. Oh, oh, that's bad right there. Ding, 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 ding. All my lights were flashing. But I learned with him that I have to ask this very important question sometimes. Do you want my input? Or do you just need to talk this out? So if you're not sure and someone's coming to you and there's an emotional outburst or there's a long soliloquy, so to speak, ask this question. Do you want my input or do you just want to talk this out? Oftentimes, they just want to talk it out. Alice Freiling in the book, The Art of Spiritual Listening, writes this. If I want to listen well with love and awe, I need to let go of my need to be right. I need to let go of many preconceived opinions. I need to let go of my own self-consciousness and insecurities. And I need to let go of the need to appear wise, good, or even spiritual. Whew. Thanks, Alice. Another way that you and I can do this is by practicing reflective listening. For any of you that have been in therapy like me, you know what this is because you've been on the receiving end of it. Okay? You need to practice reflective listening. Reflective listening is what... Professor Lyle did for me. 
Brother Max, I hear you saying, did I hear you right? <laughs> That's really, here, so here's some phrases. So if I'm hearing you right, you're upset because, uh, let me make sure I'm tracking with you. You're really frustrated because, right? You're saying you feel sad. Is that like, am I right? Uh, so is what you want me to understand and again, you summarize. I think I hear you saying these are all reflective listening statements that cue the other person into the fact that we've paid attention to what's just come out of their mouth and from their heart. Okay? Practice reflective listening. And then the last thing that you and I can do is surrender our desire to resolve differences quickly. Okay? Here's what I know about some people in your life. They think the wrong things. They think the wrong things. They are utterly and completely mistaken about. It's right on the tip of your tongue. See? How can people be so utterly lost in a world of information? And yet here they are. <laughs> you have people in your life who are wrong about some of the things that they're doing in terms of their lifestyle and living. Um, some things that they believe to be true that just aren't true. And so your temptation is to jump in and correct. Well, you just need to. You just need to. Most of the time, people see what is true through self-discovery, through self-realization, and self-reflection. When we give people the space to arrive at their own answers, to sort out questions in their own minds and at their own speed, the results are often worth the wait. So surrender your need to resolve differences quickly. And... If I can drive this home, I want to do that just with the very body that you have. How many ears do you have? Two. How many mouths do you have? One. What is the ratio? Two to one. So you should listen more than you speak, okay? God has given us our very bodies as an indicator of this. Listen more than you speak. When we listen well... We show people God's love, and we open up opportunities for connection and truth. Jesus listens. Jesus, listen, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus has got it figured out. Jesus knows what's up and down. Jesus knows what everybody needs, and yet Jesus listens. Okay? God will help you to listen well with a posture of openness and a prayer of, Lord, help me to listen, okay? We're going to pray for that right now together. So will you pray with me? Father, some of us are better listeners than others. All of us can get better. We need your help. We want to be like Jesus. We want to reek of Jesus. When other people interact with us, we, would, we want them to see Jesus in us. So, Father... Give us eyes to see ourselves with greater clarity. Help us to be humble and teachable. Father, work in our hearts. And Father, help us as we resolve this week to speak less and listen more. I know that in praying this, what you're really going to do is give us opportunities to listen. So Father, when those moments arrive, uh, jab us, prick us, remind us, bring today to mind anything that you can do through the power of your spirit to help us realize, oh, this is one of those moments. So Father, 
we are expectant for this week and we ask you to work. And in this way, we might be a community of faith that resembles Jesus and his kingdom. I pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen.